0: Support for Meaningful Conversations comes from Wix.com. With Wix, you get to create your very own professional website. Wix gives you the freedom to create anything. It doesn't matter if you're building a website for the very first time or if you're a long-term pro. Choose a template you love and customize it by adding your own text, images, and videos. With hundreds of intuitive design features, you can tell your story exactly the way you want. Want even more for your website? You can easily start a blog, launch an online store, or create an event. Share everything in a click on social media and drive even more traffic to your site with SEO tools to get found on Google. Wix has all the tools you need to create the exact website you want. You can even create a beautiful website while listening to this podcast. Over 140 million people choose Wix to create their website. So create yours today. Get started now by going to wix.com. That's wix.com slash conversations to get 10% off. I'm Maria Shriver, and this is Meaningful Conversations. On every episode, we'll take a journey into the lives of inspiring, thoughtful, thought-provoking people. People who are smart, spirited, and spiritual people who have done extraordinary things to make a positive impact on our world. These are people I respect and admire, people who inspire me. I want them to share their stories, their experiences, their wisdom, and their feelings with you. I hope we can come together in community to reflect on the issues and topics that we're all thinking about, but no one seems to be talking about. I hope that you're inspired to have more meaningful conversations with the people in your life. Brene Brown wants to help you choose courage over comfort. She spent the past two decades of her life researching and writing about courage, vulnerability, shame, and empathy. She's got five New York Times bestselling books, including her latest, Dare to Lead. She's also the brains behind one of the most popular TED Talks ever, titled The Power of Vulnerability. Now, Brene also has her first Netflix special. It's called A Call to Courage in which she calls for us to choose courage over comfort in a culture that's defined by scarcity, fear, and uncertainty. I recently got to sit down with Brene, and we enjoyed an engaging and thought-provoking conversation about empathy, belonging, and human connection. Her message always inspires me to lean into the uncomfortable parts of life and find the courage I need to show up and show my true self. I hope her message today will inspire you to do the same. Okay, I'm here talking with Brene Brown and I was thinking, Brene, getting ready for this, about the first time that I met you. We had coffee not too far from here. We did. And you were just kind of getting going. You were just kind of becoming known. And I I want to start with like, how has the arena been for you?
1: Scary. Like every time I get, like every time the arena shifts a little bit and I get used to it, it get, it changes. And so I was driving down Wilshire Boulevard yesterday and there's a huge billboard with my face on it with the Netflix special. And yeah. I was like, this is terrible or wonderful. I'm not sure what this is. This both. is It's both. Yeah. yeah. It's scary to me.
0: Yeah. As you know. So Brene's got a great new Netflix special. I just watched it this morning and it's so moving on so many fronts. I had a piece of paper. I had like 15 pieces of paper writing down, to, you know, stop your shit on other people, like <laughs> shame, shame storm, you name it. My husband is the most important part of my life. I mean, there were so many quotable moments, but why did you want to do a Netflix special? Which It's really like a one woman show on Broadway there. Thank you. I'm going to take that yeah, as a compliment. Is, um, yeah. You should.
1: You know, When I was pregnant with Ellen, who is getting ready to be 20 as our first child, Steve and I were taking this walk and he said, you know, and I was talking about, I don't know how, and I was getting my PhD, I was in a doctoral program and I said, I'm really scared about how this is going to work when I become a mom and I'm so excited about that, but how's it going to work? And he's like, well, what's your career goal? And I said, if I could do anything, I'd really start like a global conversation on shame and vulnerability. That would be my career goal. And so... Mm -hmm. And that was 19 years
0: ago? It was 20, 20 years ago. 20 years
1: ago. 20 years ago. Yeah, I was probably eight months pregnant. I was probably like 38 weeks pregnant, like mm-hmm. really pregnant. I think I was walking to like induced labor kind of yeah. walk. Yeah. So every time I get really scared about something, I always ask myself, will it serve the work? Will it serve that goal? And so one of the things that, and this is, you'll I think you'll relate to this, it's not enough for me to write about the work, I have to live the work, mm-hmm. and I can't live the work on a plane every week. Yeah, away from my family. I've got a thirteen-year-old. Yeah. You know, like I have to be home for water polo season and like you know dances and things that are so important. And so, this opportunity to do something with Netflix, where when it launches, it goes into one hundred and ninety countries in the same day, like yeah. translated. I just cannot think of a more amazing opportunity.
0: It scares me, mm-hmm. but. Wow.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: wow. Like a global
1: conversation. You want, you know, here's your opportunity.
0: So you made the decision based on that. This furthers my work. This furthers my mission. And it also might allow me to get off a plane and going to all sorts of rooms to give the same talk.
1: Yeah, because I think when you don't live the work, I don't know how much the work is really in service to other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you can BS people. I think we're so tired of the BS right now right. that I think you have to live the work for it to be actually meaningful.
0: And what did you want? Like when you, there's so many things to take away from the special, so many places to talk, but when it stops and people are sitting there in their living room where they watch Netflix or in their bed, what do you want people to experience in their body? And what do you want the conversation if they're watching it with another person How should it begin? I hope if there's just a single takeaway, Mm -hmm. it's that
1: we can't be brave with our lives without being vulnerable. You know, everybody wants to be brave, but no one wants to be vulnerable. Just courage doesn't exist without vulnerability. So, that really crappy feeling that you get when you're feeling uncertain, at risk, or emotionally exposed, that's courage. Right. You know, and that we're allowed to be brave and afraid. In the exact same minute
0: that paradox people are yeah, uncomfortable with the paradox are. and they just want to be courageous right. because our perception of courage right is maybe climbing a mountain right. or standing up but they don't understand that it's also like like superman ripping the shirt off yeah i mean think of climbing the mountain's a great thing like you're in uncertainty and risk and you know
1: failure is possible so it's like the armor that we're wearing, mm-hmm. and increasingly wearing, because I think of the socio-political environment that we right, live in right, right now, right. this armor is killing us. It's keeping us small. It's suffocating. It's not allowing us to grow into our gifts, mm-hmm. which the world needs. Right. And so I guess if they left with anything that... I'm not alone in thinking the armor feels good and it's crushing me. It feels safe, but it's also crushing me. Like, it's time to step out.
0: How do you keep taking the armor off yourself as you get busier oh. and busier, as people want to, you know, like when we first met, there wasn't perhaps the pull that's on you today. Everybody trying to grab a piece of you, everybody trying to talk to you. And sometimes the armor is really helpful when you're in a public
1: yeah, you place. know. Right? I know. Yes, I and I've done walked, it. When we walked outside mm-hmm. of that cafe after
0: coffee, there mm-hmm. were paparazzi
1: there mm-hmm. for you, right? Yeah, obviously. And I remember thinking to myself as I watched you kind of be boundary, but kind of kind and walk to your car in that kind of graceful way, gritty way that only you can pull off that thing. You're <laughs> that like
0: boundary, like,
1: like <laughs> but boundary, but kind, but Thank also just non negotiable. Yeah. You're like amazing at that. Thank you. I thought to myself. I, I would die. They would be taking pictures of me in the field position on this parking lot asphalt because I am so private and so introverted. And so now as the profile has been raised, right, and I think right. it'll probably
0: maybe be more so with Netflix. Absolutely. yeah. You said, what, 190 countries, more. I'm thinking no one around here is going to watch it, though. No, just, they're going to watch it. They, just you're going to hope they watch
1: it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm putting a geographic bubble over it so no one I actually know sees it. It's just out in the world. I think I don't know how to do that yet, and so I'm getting better at it. But people come up to me all the time now, like in airports or grocery stores and stuff, and uh-huh. um, mostly they're very kind and you know pretty respectful. Mm-hmm. It's fairly uncomfortable.
0: Scary. Yes, for me, Yes. So how does that affect your family? Because I think it's, you know, people worry sometimes about, oh, if I step into the arena, I'm going to lose my privacy. If I step into the arena, it's going to have negative effects on my family. If I step on the arena, these might be also excuses we give ourselves to to stay small. But I'm wondering kind of how your family has adjusted to you stepping into the arena because that so often people feel like I can't do that. Because of my I think, family,
1: I think I'm pretty boundary with what I share. Like I, my, my, I have a very clear line. So I'll share what's vulnerable about my life, but I don't share what's intimate about my life. I keep that very private, and so I keep my my family and my kids stuff pretty private. I think they're they're just supportive and they're proud and they're they think it's you know people always say what do your kids think and I was like my son thinks one. Where are my goggles? And two, did you get tickets to in-game Infinity War? Like that's okay. what I'm, that's or what I'm
0: that like, now you're on Netflix. You can get some some other yeah. cool. Swag. No, well, they don't. They don't ever ask me for that.
1: It's interesting. No, but they
0: haven't been on. So I haven't, I haven't been on. Now we'll you're see. in a different. But thing. they're mostly
1: like you know they're they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is like being 13.
0: Yeah, they're like. You know what? You in the Netflix special, I thought it was so great that you talk about we live in this climate that's divided, obviously politically, but where everybody seems to be sharing everything. Yeah. And then you're you said, you know, sharing your bikini wax on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, is not vulnerability. And people are confused, really, about what is vulnerability? What do I share? What do I not? And how do you have boundaries in this sharing culture? Yeah, I think vulnerability minus boundaries is not vulnerability. Love that.
1: Yeah, so it's oversharing, it's desperation, it's attention-seeking, it's bad judgment. It's a lot of different things, it could be, but it's not vulnerability. Vulnerability, I think... You always have to examine rigorously your intention for sharing. Okay, let's break that down for me. So, why am I sharing? Am I sharing? Am I sharing a story from stage? because it teaches, it helps teach us a point. It helps people understand what I'm talking about. Or am I sharing something from stage because I need to process it or that I need affirmation? Like one of the best rules I give people, I just did this interview with someone who was probably in her early twenties and she's like, how much do you share when you start dating? And I said, the best rule of sharing that I know of, whether you're dating, whether you're public speaking, whether you just met a new friend at work is if you are, you are ready to share when the response has no impact on your healing or self-worth. That's when you're ready to share. I can share a story with you when what you say or don't say, Mm -hmm. I'm not crushed by it. So if you share something really hard on Instagram in hopes that people will come and be supportive and affirming, but you get shamed and bullied and trolled out, like we share with people who've earned the right to hear the story. We share in relationships that can bear the weight of the story. New relationship, light story. Relationship that's heavy and solid and bold heavy story like you and I know each other right. we share things right? That but in can the, bear
0: the weight In the story, in the special you talk about though this kind of quandary that one finds oneself in yeah. because you want to share but you don't trust yes. and so how do you trust and then share what what comes first yeah, it's it's a great question so trust and sh-
1: trust and it's the chicken egg basically right, right. trust and vulnerability it's a slow stacking over time the best way i can tell you about trust is we use the the metaphor in our work of the marble Jar. So mm-hmm. you've got a jar. And it's based on teachers do this. They have a jar in their classroom. And every time this, the kids make great decisions, they add marbles to the jar, they take out marbles. When the jar fills up, they have a celebration of collective great behavior. <laughs> so the marble jar is the great metaphor for trust. You have a jar. Mm-hmm. It's like this glass on this table in front of us. And... Over time, you and I have great conversations. We mm-hmm. trust, we share things, and we build, and we put a marble in, and we put a marble in, and one day we've got a full marble jar, and I can share heavy things with my full marble jar friends. Got but it. you don't share with people who, over time, that's how trust stacks. A little bit of trust, a little bit of more vulnerability. A little bit more trust, a little bit more vulnerability. But it's not like, hey nice to meet you. Here's my darkest, deepest, hardest story mm-hmm. because I'm going to test you to see if you're really a good person and a good friend. It doesn't work that way because when you overshare, the healthy response is, whoa, too much. That's healthy because I don't know you. Where, where am I supposed to file that? Right. I got no marbles in your jar. Like, What are you doing? And so I think a lot of times the oversharing today is about you know there's that quote everyone's got a story and then that's dying to be told. Right. People are desperate to 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 talk to be seen. I mean to that's the, that's the right. basic human yeah. need, right? right? To be seen by others. Right. And 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 loved and accepted and belong. And I think people are trying to hotwire connection mm. by
0: oversharing. We just met, but I need a best friend. Here's my darkest secret. Let's do it. Do you think that's because we're living in this kind of living in our phones, which we think are connecting us publicly in some way that didn't exist 10 years ago? So we're kind of feeling like we have to put like everything out there. There's no privacy anymore. There's no, it seems to me that people are boundaryless everywhere you go. Yeah. But, you know, I think that's right. And I would take it a a step further and say
1: the lack of boundaries is ultimately a lack of self-respect. Wow, that's big. Yeah. The lack of boundaries is really a lack of self respect. Boundaries are
0: hard. I mean, yeah. You know that, right? Yeah, really hard. Really hard. And I didn't even hear the word boundaries until I was mid age. I, I didn't grow up with people talking about I don't, I didn't boundaries either. I didn't like either. Somebody once said to me, like, oh, you have something boundaries. And I was like, boundaries? I wasn't even like schooled in that. Yeah. I wasn't, that wasn't part of the, conversation, just like you put these new words into our conversations about shame, about equating courage to being vulnerable. I grew up with courage as get in the arena, have no feelings, don't emote, let's go, save the world, I don't care about you. And then you're you're like talking like, oh, no, you have to be vulnerable to be courageous. I'm like, wow. Yeah, because the price is too high the other way. Wow. Yeah. So I think, yeah, the boundaries thing
1: is it's it's boundaries are about self-respect. Yeah, You know, they're about putting what you think and how you feel and what you need on equal par with what people need from you. And you just can't set boundaries without occasionally pissing off somebody, disappointing them, letting them down. But the opposite of boundaries is resentment. And I think so many women, especially. Yeah, I was just going to ask you if you think women have a much harder time with this. Oh, my God. I do. Because yeah. the shame trigger for women is do it all, take care of everyone, and look smoking hot while you're doing it. Yeah. And have no needs yourself. No needs yourself. Yeah. Neediness is a huge shame trigger for women. Yeah. Disappointing. is you know, like... Yeah. So my daughter's here today, and I'm like... I, I tell, I've tell i told her probably since she was... I think the first time I really remember talking to her about it was in elementary school when she had a classmate... Who was really acting out and being pretty rough around things, but I also knew he had a, a huge family struggle going on. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Here's the thing: understand and be compassionate, and at the exact same time, exact same time set boundaries about what's okay and not okay." Mm-hmm. Because here's what shocked me, and you'll—I I think this will resonate for you because we share some common background. I think, mm-hmm. especially theologically, yeah. In common. <laughs>
0: um, yeah,
1: yeah. But, you know, shame. Yeah, but and some guilt. Yeah. I will say, though, there is no, we, didn't, we have never found a denomination that's more shaming than another. Catholics always think it's them. Yeah. Baptists think it's them. And then Jews think it's them. But it's actually pretty, it's actually, it's more church specific. So it, what, what we know is it's, the, it's not the denomination. It's actually physical locality. So we know it's the man-made leadership within.
0: Yeah. I actually found on that, that watching kind of the church it, for me anyway, disintegrate in a way from the mm-hmm. inside out recently has yeah. been a big shame releaser. Yeah. I'm like, wait a second. Like I was doing penance for stealing the marbles from the jar. I was feeling like I couldn't come in here because my marriage had crumbled. I was... Fe- and you guys are doing that? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. wait an effing yeah. minute. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, yeah. I've... Rejiggered my kind of shame meter. Yeah, Bishop, still myself. Yeah, a <laughs> right. bit. But you were saying, oh, yeah. So I was up. saying, yeah. so I had this stack of data probably about ten years
1: ago when I was, write, write, I was writing the gifts, and I called it the coma, the Compassion Smackdown, and it was the most <laughs> compassionate people I had interviewed in in kind of one stack of data. And I was like, what do they have in common? Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be spirituality, because I mean, we like interviewed monks, activists, people mm-hmm. that were just incredibly compassionate and then you know what the one thing they had in common boundaries whoa they turned out the one thing they had in common was they were also the most boundary people we had we had we had interviewed and so yes and so there's this thing that like we can't be compassionate toward other people when we're a doormat Mm. because compassion and resentment don't live together they don't
0: coalesce Don't go away. We'll have more of the conversation in just a moment. But first, let's talk about one of our sponsors. Long day at work, tough day at school? Then consider treating yourself to a meal from your favorite restaurant delivered right to your door, thanks to DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to all your favorite restaurants in your city. Their app makes it easy to order exactly what you want to eat when you want it. A Dasher will then bring it to you wherever you are. Cool. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, but over 310,000 other amazing restaurants are as well. DoorDash connects you with door-to-door delivery in over 3,300 cities and 50 states across the United States and Canada. You can order from your favorite local eateries or choose from one of your favorite chain restaurants, and they're all in there, like Chipotle, Wendy's, lots of them. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of 15 bucks or more when you download DoorDash app and enter promo code MEANINGFUL. That's 5 bucks off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code MEANINGFUL. Again, that's promo code MEANINGFUL for 5 bucks off your first order from DoorDash. Now let's get back to the conversation. So you were saying, and I think I cut you off, you were saying so many women have resentment. Oh my God, yeah. And help someone out there who says like, I don't have resentment, break down resentment. How can you tell that you have it and how it's blocking you really from I think (laughs) living your kind of in the arena life? It's so hard asking me to describe...
1: Resentment's like asking a fish to describe water because it's one of my go-to emotions. Like, sure, I'll be happy to do that. Of course I'll take that on. Yes, I'll do that. I'd love to do that for you. Then yeah. I'm like, oh, the brownies for the bake sale, yes. And then I'm at home a day later like stirring. I hate you. I hate your children. I hope everyone chokes on these brownies. Like it is – it's choosing to do for others from less than a pure heart. Mm. It's about trying to manage perception, not really trying to be in service. As opposed to, like, what I've learned to do is, like, thanks for asking. I can't take that on right now, but please ask again.
0: Yeah. As- I've, I've done that a couple of times that I've been with people they are like, gee. no." My kids are like, Mommy, that's, like, so mean. I go, no, it's honest. Like, God, that was so mean. You know you know who helped me with this a lot? Oh. Our
1: friend Oprah.
0: Oh, she did tell me. Yeah. I was
1: just texting with her. Yeah, no, she did because she told me. After we did Super Soul Sunday, she said, you know, as your platform changes and your career changes, you run the risk of getting pecked to death. Mm. Like, you, and you're going to have to say no when you're going to have to. And and she said, I've seen you do it. You're really, you know, you're good at it. And she said, but you're going to have to really get clear that if you think you're going to have the life or career that you want and never piss off or disappoint people, you're mistaken. So you just replayed that kind oh, of like, over. No, I have it hanging yeah. I have to keep it up so I can look at it. And I think, yeah, I can I can do resentment. It's like
0: my watch out. And if you have healthy boundaries, the resentment dissipates because yes. also you feel like, and it's uncomfortable, right? You're pushing totally. up against your own self-respect. You have to kind of talk to yourself. Yeah. It's okay for me to do this. Yes. It's I'm not being a, a bitch. I no. can do this. Yeah. And teaching your children also, or those around you, this is what healthy boundaries look like. This is what me having a larger vision for what I want to do. And this doesn't fit into that yes. service. Yes.
1: And every time I'm on the receiving end of someone, like I just approached someone and said, hey, would you be interested in this opportunity? And like everyone's like, oh my God, she's going to freak out when you give her this opportunity. And she emailed back and she said, really appreciate it. Not really aligning with my goals right now. Thanks for checking. You know." And I was like, I really want you. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, because I was like, that's such badassery to me. We have this thing that we call living big, B-I-G, what boundaries need to be in place Mm -hmm. so I can be in my integrity and generous towards you. Mm. Because this kind of, and generosity of spirit is such an important thing, I know, for you, for me, but what I realize is the most generous, most compassionate people are very clear about their boundaries. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like... I'll give you two examples that boundaries that I thought was Joan Halifax who is a just an anthropologist yeah. I think a Zen Buddhist practitioner leader we were at an event in upstate New York together where we were speaking together and we met each other. We did, like, a dry run of the talk, or just our, kind of like the AV check. And then the people who were organizing the event said, it's time to come meet the VIPs and do, like, a, a social, like, a 30-minute social meet-and-greet, which I – like, those destroy me. Like, I'd rather be on stage talking to 10,000 people for five hours than a meet-and-greet for 30 minutes. Why? Because I'm introverted. I don't like small talk. I don't like to take – yeah, I just don't like it. Right. So – I said, "Well, okay, you ready to do this?" And she goes, "Oh, I'm not going." And so the event organizer looked and she said, "You've asked me to come, and tonight I'm going to exhale and give 100%. But now it's time for me to inhale."
0: Mm.
1: And I was like, "Wait, are you really not going?" I was like, "That's beautiful, but are you really not going?" She goes, "No, I don't. I don't do that." And I was like, and like you could see this event organizer was like like, don't even try to like you you, you don't have the Zen outfit on. Like you, yeah. you don't get to do that. And I was like, Okay, I'm going to but like by the time the meet and greet was over, I was like, Oh my God, I've nothing left. Like right. and so now I'm very much like, here's what I can do and here's what I'm not gonna do.
0: I do that now and I learned this at a very later age that when I go to speak I need 15 minutes by myself in the room and I had trouble asking for it. Yeah. I had trouble in yeah. that same thing going, I need this. And people are like, "Yeah, but 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 you don't really need it." I'm like, N- "No, actually, I really do need it." And then struggling to say what I need. Yeah. And feeling that it's okay for yeah. me to need. Yeah. God, you know, I just interviewed Abby Wambach. Oh, right, yeah. Yes, and she's got the new book coming out,
1: Wolfpack. And she, there's a rule in there, which the old rule was be grateful. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Just be grateful and do what they ask you to do. Her new rule is be grateful and ask for what you deserve. And she said that gratitude, oh, thank you so much for the opportunity, and I won't cause any problems. I won't ask for what I need. I'll make, you know, you can pay me less than you're paying the guys speaking. You know, like, just be grateful That someone is giving you the opportunity, she said, is just such bullshit.
0: And what's interesting also, I think about that, and it also goes over, I think I've seen this in politics as well. The person may have that philosophy, but then the people around the person are also trying to might not share that same philosophy. And they want you to do X, Y, and Z. And so you can see that in politics. The person may have a desire to be bipartisan. They may have a desire to, you know, be inclusive or be courageous and vulnerable. But the people around that person want to get in the fight, want to be partisan, want to be negative. And so kind of not only your own boundaries, your own philosophy, but the importance of surrounding yourself, your team. And so, like when I met you, you had, I think, one person working for you.
1: Yeah, I think I was with, I think this was just my manager at the time. Yeah. And that was a fairly new relationship, which is how we connected, I think, even. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so you have built a team. I have. And, and you have your siblings, you were just telling me. Yeah, both religious. of my sisters work for us. And so yeah. that some people might go, whoa, I don't want to have my siblings. Isn't that kind of, is that a strange dynamic? But the importance of building a team so that you can be in the arena. Can you speak a little bit about how to build a team that shares your philosophy yeah. and that's protective of your boundaries?
1: Yeah, no, I think... And I think the thing about Ashley and Barrett and I, like we've all done enough therapy <laughs> that we, my sisters and I, that we can, we, we keep that stuff really clean. And, you know, we're really good at like, hey, here's a story I'm making up. Let's circle back and talk through this. Like we're, we're skilled, like just because of probably all the therapy we've done. Yeah, I think, I, I think if there's one message I give my team all the time is we know who we are mm. and we make decisions that serve the work. And not everyone that we're going to partner with is trying to serve the work that we, in the way that we're trying to serve the work. So we're going to be mindful of that. And we don't jump on other people's timelines or agendas.
0: Love it. Love it. We don't jump on other people's timelines or agendas. We just
1: don't do that. That's always a mistake for us.
0: One of the things that really struck me in the special was how we shit all over the people we love the most. And uh, that's such a big subject, but I want people to hear it because so many people do make the person closest to them, the person they rely on, love the most. They make their life the most difficult. Why?
1: Yeah, I think the classic answer is, you know, safety. We think that we can get away with mistreating people that love us the most. And so I think there's different ways of dealing with shame. Some people hide, some people people please, and some of us use shame to fight shame. And we and, and most of us use all three of those strategies, mm. those shame shields. Yeah. But unfortunately we you use, call them
0: shame storm in, yeah,
1: in there. Yeah. 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 In the same shame storm, what yeah. shield do you grab? Do you go into perfectionism? Do you go into people pleasing? Do you go into disappearing? Or do you go into, hey, I'll use shame and anger to fight you. Mm-hmm. Like, and so we usually use that one with the people we love the most, and it leaves marks. It's like, you know, when we think about what's going on in the world today, I always tell people I'm not going to engage in shame as a social justice tool. Like, shame is a tool of oppression. Belittling, humiliating people is a tool of oppression. So I'm not going to use it as a tool for justice, too. Like, I'll mm-hmm. use accountability but I'm not going to use shame because when we shame other people, it doesn't only wound them. It wounds the people that are using shame as a tool.
0: Right. And so that's the kind of also and participating in that, yeah. participating with people who do yeah, that. I just can't do it. It it also envelops you. Yeah. Right? And it it just gets
1: on you like yeah. like ick. slime, like <laughs> ick, like it does. And so and I think with the people we love I can keep my shit together long enough for my kids. But then when they go upstairs, I look at my husband and go, you know, like, this is your fault. Somehow I'm going to trace this back to being your fault. Like, you know, because we need a place to discharge pain. And we're so much better at causing pain than staying in our own pain.
0: One of the wonderful things at the end of the special, you talk about your daughter. And I won't tell the story because it's a long story, but it redefines what I love about this winning Yeah, And I want you to leave our listeners with the meaning, since this is called meaningful conversations, the meaning of what it means to win and how we live in this culture of winners and losers, but how maybe reframing winning today in our lives, how we can do that for ourselves. I think winning is showing up
1: and letting yourself be seen and heard when you can't control the outcome. That to me is winning. Winning has nothing to do with the outcome. It's the courage to show up and be seen. And if I think more of us did that, I think it would change who we are, and I think it would change the world we live in.
0: I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Meaningful Conversations. If you're looking for more inspiration and words of wisdom, then please sign up for my weekly email newsletter, The Sunday Paper. It's free and it's really good. Just visit my website, mariaschriver.com to subscribe. I hope you'll also check out my book, I've Been Thinking, and its new companion, I've Been Thinking, The Journal. Like this podcast, these books were created to help you on your path to a meaningful life. More details on my website about all of that as well. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to being in community with you again right here each Monday.